0: It's good to be with you this uh, Sunday morning. It's a, kind of a highlight of my week have to come and share God's Word with you. Uh, if you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus, book of Exodus, chapter 32. Exodus 32. We talk about Israel having a golden calf. I'm not talking about their leg either, but another kind of a calf. We read in chapter 32 and verses 1 through 6, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. Let's pray. Father, to this word that was read, please grant to us understanding and proper insight. And Father, may we apply the principles of truth in our daily lives, Father, that we would not make an idol of, of something that uh, would take your place. Lord, help us as a people, as your church, not to put you in a back burner. But, Lord, you're to be our priority. In Jesus' name, amen. Six years ago, my wife and I were driving our Mercury Sable from wherever we were coming from, I think from St. Louis area, back home, and we were on Interstate 44. And uh, we were just happily driving along, and... Uh, Right alongside of us was a tractor-trailer, and he decided he wanted to be in our lane when I was beside him. And he clipped us, and what's amazing is uh, how little a car is compared to a tractor-trailer. As We begin to spin around the highway. I had no idea as we're spinning around Loop-de- loop kind of thing. I had no idea where we were going to end up, and uh, my life, my wife's life, your life, all passed before me. Everybody in the world's life passed before me <laughs> You know, I start singing the song, now I'm coming home. Uh, we sp- I don't know I think we spun around the highway five or six million times. <laughs> we start going backwards. Uh, I'm facing the tractor trailer now as he's slowing up I'm facing him and we're going backwards and I can't control this car we fortunately didn't go onto the other lane we went down to a ditch and the car toppled over into its side and uh, we were seat belted in and I'm laying on my left side looking out this way my wife's up here you know, buckled in, just kind of strapped there, nothing to do. People came running, and I got the window open, and they managed to pull her out of the car. I couldn't get up because my seatbelt was so tight around me, it, I couldn't unbuckle it. So I had to cut it with a knife to get out of there. You know, we, we got out of that situation. There was not a scratch on us, uh, neither one of us. They want to take us to the hospital, uh, and I uh, so we feel fine. It was kind of like being on a on a ride. I don't want to go on a ride too often. And <laughs> I thought to myself, "Boy, ain't God good?" <laughs> Just I, I thought I you know the the car was totaled out. They they totaled the car out and. Uh, Uh, we were not totaled out. God did a wonderful thing. Kept us alive. If not, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, But uh, hasn't there been some extraordinary thing in your life that's happened to you that you can only conclude that that God must have orchestrated such an outcome for you that, that you 're a witness of something that God has done in your life, and you say only by the grace of God i 'm sure that most of us can give an account of God doing something like that, that he has done something miraculous you, you've you 've seen his power you, you've felt his presence, you 've benefited from his goodness you you 've witnessed his unfailing love, and yet as time begins to slip by you know and the, and the days turn into weeks the weeks into months and the months into years as time slips slips by and the mundane things of this world then engulf your days you 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 tend to put behind you God's gracious act and then you begin to align yourself again with the things of this world and its activities you begin to forget what God has done for you. And then the world becomes most prominent in your life. Like like Demas, who was one time a a collaborator with Paul, the Apostle Paul. And then Paul finally says that, that he has left him and has fallen in love with the world. You yourself sometimes... When you forget what God has done for you, you, like Demas, have fallen in love with the world. Israel had been delivered out of the bondage of, of to Egypt by God. They had firsthand witness. They had been firsthand witnesses of God's incredible power. They've experienced His, his providential care on a day by day basis. And in fact, they were so impressed by the God, the God of glory that, that, they, that they made a vow to Him. And we read in Exodus 20, uh, 24, verse 3, it says, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. They had committed themselves to God. God, whatever you want. We had, we had seen your acts. We had, we've witnessed your power. I mean, they went through the... 10 plagues they they cross over the red sea on dry ground they had seen god do incredible they seen god destroy pharaoh's army lord all that you want all that you want we're going to do it but by the time that exodus 32 comes around they break their covenant relationship with god the one that he established, and and make an, an idol of gold and begin to worship it. They'd forgotten God. They sold themselves out to an idol. So here we are in Exodus 32. And we find the people of Israel all in perplexed state as to what may have happened to their leader, Moses. The guy has been gone for six weeks he took a sabbatical that they never authorized. I mean, if your pastor walked out and he wasn't here for six weeks, you'd think that something went wrong. Somebody kidnapped him or something. He's not here. It's time. We, we need to get somebody else. We've not seen Moses. Moses was with God. But we ain't seen him. not only couldn't they find Moses but they had assumed because Moses was gone who else do you think was gone they supposed that God was gone also we can't find Moses and where's God you ever come to a place in your life and say where's God things are falling apart my world's crumbling in on me where is God? You're like Philip. Our church is in disarray. Where is God? So they came to the conclusion that God is missing also. And, and since God isn't here, we are going to need a replacement they didn't look for a replacement for Moses they looked for a replacement for God so then here's this question why does it seem that Israel is in such a hurry to get a new God and not so much in a hurry to get a new leader Why would they want a new God, but not another God to take Moses' place? You ever think about that? read this account. They're not looking for a new leader. They're looking for a new God. Here's the answer. It is a matter of authority. It is a matter of authority. In essence, who is going to be in charge? When a leader is appointed over a people, folks begin to feel as though there is some moral obligation to follow the leader. Even if you're playing the game, follow the leader. You know, you may not like who's leading the pack. Oh, I don't like that guy. But you're gonna follow because that's the name of the game. Or you may not like the president, or you may like him. You say, Well, I'm gonna follow the leader. Some people say, I ain't following this leader. Right? So we, we find sometimes in following the leader, that it is a more, it's morally repulsive. it's reprehensible to follow someone that we don't want to follow. And Israel had this idea that we don't want to follow this God. We don't like this God who hasn't shown up because our leader's gone. This God is gone. He's not been here for for months on end. Where is he? Why follow someone who isn't there when you want him to or her to be there? It's morally or mentally repulsive and reprehensible to follow someone that you don't want. However, when a God is quote unquote created to rule over you, notice I says quote unquote created, whenever a God is created to rule over you, and since it is the people who manufacture that God, they in turn get to determine the rules. If you create a God in your mind, in your heart, if you establish an idol, you get to make the rules that that God is supposed to follow because you made it. Okay? When you determine what the rules are for your new God, then you determine how much authority and say-so that God has. So what is your God? If your God is sports and you got your favorite sports team and your team is losing, guess what you get to do? You get to change the station. You don't have to watch it anymore. If your God is money, you can go out and you can become a workaholic and get as much as you can. But I want to tell you something when you leave this world, you're leaving it too. If your God is power, you get to determine how much power and what kind of power you want. Who do you want to use as an object in order for you to, quote unquote, climb up the ladder? If that's important to you, then power becomes your God. But you get to set the rules, you get to make the rules. When a God is made, that God must approve and sanction our salacious, our obscene, lustful ways and unbridled manners. In the book of Romans, in the book of Romans chapter 1, listen to this from verses 21 and following. For even though they knew God, They did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Who's your God? What, What God have we created? We've witnessed a great God in our life, who saved us, who seals us, who satisfies us, but sometimes in that satisfying us, he doesn't play by our rules. So sometimes people look for a new God. When we manufacture our own God, It's our way. We get to do what we want to do. We can determine what is necessary to enter into the blessings and benevolence of that God. And there is in our minds the added benefit that the way to that so-called God is to be determined by the person who created it. Now, this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus says, isn't it? Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. Jesus being God, he sets the rules, and this is the way we're supposed to follow. But when we create our own God, it's my way my truth, my life, not yours, God, my life, and the way to the Father is determined by, the way to God is determined by me. Friends, let me ask you this question. Is it possible that if a local church does not sense the presence of God, nor does it desire to do so, then does that body, does that local church leave itself open to idolatry? If we're not interested in God, if a church, not this church, but any church, if a, God, if a church is not interested in God, does it open itself up for idolatry? Would or could that happen when they no longer encounter the presence of God in their worship? No longer encounter the promises of God in their quiet time. No longer encounter the power of God in their preaching. No longer encounter the passion for God in their witnessing. No longer encounter the peace of God in their praying. And no longer encounter the providential care of God in their daily lives. Absolutely that's possible. When this happens, then the foundation is being laid for another God. And the God that been, that foundation is laid for is a God that the people create themselves. It's not the God of the Bible. It's the God of whatever culture they live in. Listen, the further we remove ourselves from the one true God, then the further we, we remove ourselves from truth. This is exactly what is happening in our world today in the world today? Answer this question. Is right wrong? Is up down? Is truth a lie? Is sin sanctimonious? I don't know anymore if I'm doing the right thing or not. I can't tell from day to day. Are we doing the right thing? If if you follow current trends, I don't know what we're doing anymore. Or what truth is. Talk about subjective truth. Kind of reminds me of the book of Judges. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Listen to these words. A prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Amos writes these words. And, and folks, it is like reading tomorrow's newspaper. You see, the, the, more, the more we remove ourselves from the truth of who God is, The more we do that, the less we are inclined to and in tune with what Scripture has to say. It is no longer relevant to us. The Bible is no longer relevant to us because the Bible speaks of the the God of creation. But when we remove ourselves from this God of creation the God of redemption, the God who sustains. When we remove ourselves from that, then the word of God becomes useless to us. And talk about reprehensible and repulsive, that's what the word becomes. But there's coming a time, according to Amos, listen, this is what Amos says in chapter 8, and verses 11 and following, he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. When you let go of truth, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. When you let go of that truth, Then up becomes down. Right becomes wrong. Sin is sanctified. The victim becomes the culprit. Prior to our text in Exodus 32, we find in Exodus 31, 18, just a chapter before, that the Lord had just given Moses the Ten Commandments. You see, Moses been gone, he's walking down with these Ten Commandments. He just, just got it. And by the very next chapter, by the very next chapter, Israel had already violated the first two commandments that God gave Moses. Number one, no other gods before me. Well, that's done. They just created one. Number two, make no graven images. There. Number, that's gone too. I mean, the guy just walking back in, holding in his hands the Word of God in his hands. God's commands. God's moral law. This is how you treat God. This is how you treat one another. He's bringing them in. And already, before he sets foot in camp, the first two have been violated. It is this the deceitful human heart that craves for those things which are seen and heard and felt and smelled and tasted. Have we, the church, managed in some arenas to reduce faith to nothing more than those things, those empirical evidences? Is that what we've reduced faith to? Things which give us empirical evidence through personal observation, that we be, believe God is real because we have somehow we have somehow verified his existence because of some sensory reality that, that we have proven the existence of God because we can touch him or see him or hear him. If I, were to, if I were to say that Christ would make himself real to us in a physical form, then listen, this place would be filled with people, say, so I believe! Because they would see him. If Christ were here and he showed us the nail prints in his hands and his feet. We would believe because we've seen him. Oh, have you seen him? He's kind of poof gone like Moses is gone. I haven't seen him for 2,000 years. Maybe it's time for a new one. It is not that we believe because by evidence we know things to be true. We believe because by faith we know that it is true. Jesus tells the, the Apostle Thomas in John 20, 20, Listen, this is exactly where we're living at today. Jesus tells Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed Thomas because you're looking at me and you see the wounds in my body that now you believe Is that why you believe because you can see me Thomas And then he says blessed are they who did who did not see and yet believed What do you need to believe in Jesus physical evidence Or you accept it strictly on the matter of faith. And let me add, it is God who came to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, all the human senses examined his reality. And yet, man's heart is so corrupt, it continues to accept no God but that which their own heart manufactures, even though the world's seen him. You know, people say, if i see seen, I believe. Listen, it didn't work 2,000 years ago, did it? He was right there. didn't work. Many people did. Most didn't. Romans 1.25. Listen to what Romans 1.25 says. For they exchanged the truth. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. If God were to show up, Even those places be filled with people. Let's say God's gonna be here. He's gonna make a cameo appearance. God is Spirit. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He is encountered by faith, and He rewards those who exercise faith. We are the church. And listen folks, because we're the church, we lean on invisible arms, we trust ourselves to an invisible God, we submit ourselves to an invisible Lord. We are the church, a people of faith, but what kind of faith would that be if we were to allow ourselves to move ourselves by human logic? Must we have human logic and human reasoning to function as a church? Are the promises of God not sufficient for us? Do we require some scientifically proven method of observation to validate for us the reality of an unseen God? When we dismiss the reality And the person and the presence of God from our worship and our homes, a void is then created. And then, listen, if we won't, it won't be long until something or someone else comes along to fill that emptiness. When Moses was nowhere to be found, then Aaron, his brother, listen, Aaron, his brother, the high priest, by default by default, becomes the go-to guy. Not that they said he's going to become the new leader. He's the go-to guy because, you know what? There's one thing about Aaron. He succumbs to pressure. Oh, yes, he succumbs to pressure, just like many people do. When things get hot, we break down. You know, the best cakes are made when the heat is turned up. But some people... When a little bit of heat comes around, they get out of the oven. And that's Aaron. Isn't it amazing that he had the compulsion to follow God's laws? He had no compulsion, rather. He had no compulsion to follow God's laws. Rather, he listened to the voices of doubt, fear. Do we have that today? Listen to the voice of fear and unbelief. In Psalm, in Psalm 106, verses 19 through 21, listen to this. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a molten image. Thus exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot God. I'd rather live by fear and unbelief and doubt. Verse 4 of our text says, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron says that this is your God who took you out of Egypt, now back in southwestern Pennsylvania, you know what we call that? A lie. I bet you call that the same thing in Missouri too, don't you? It's a lie. He told them a lie and they believed it. (laughs) I'm glad that we've never been lied to by anybody and we haven't believed it. So now Israel has a new God. If they were to have a conversation with the new God, I suppose, I suppose that it might go something like this. Look, God, we carved, crafted, and created you. So you better do all that we ask you to do. If you don't, we'll just melt you down and make us another God who do exactly what we want him to do. And then their new God might say something like this. What do you want me to do for you? And the people said, Now, I want you to take a look at 32.6 of your text. Look at, look at Exodus 32.6. This is what the people want. And this is what they said. We want, God, we want to eat and to drink and to play. That's a church. We want to eat, drink, and play. And their new God said, okay. Their new God said, okay. The church across America is called to come together for worship. And a mere remnant of the church in America shows up. The church in America is called to come together for worship. And a remnant, a remnant of her shows up. But when the church is called together to eat and to drink and to play it's part hay time. The place is loaded. It's like Captain Kirk having an intergalactic kegger going on. Everybody shows up. Listen, friends, it's not bingo that has saved you, but rather it is the blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, however, I'm confident that I'm primarily speaking to those who have kept the faith, who have fought the good fight. I want you to know that it is an honor to stand alongside of you. But it saddens the heart to see how far the church in America has declined over the past generation or two. Verse 5 tells us that Aaron not only made an idol, but listen, he extends his foolishness. He not only made an idol, but he even went as far as to build an altar for this non-God. Here's the question that needs to be asked. It begs to be answered. Begs to be answered. We're going to answer it too. If this so-called God isn't real, Now, was that God real? Did Aaron know it wasn't real? It's Not a real God. Aaron knew it. The people knew it. It was just a hunk of metal. If it's not real, then why the altar? Why would you need an altar? Well, here's an answer to that. If you are going to create an illegitimate God who is to be worshiped and revered, then you must find some outward, listen, you must find some outward, tangible way to validate this hoax as a, legit, as a legitimate religion. How do we make this phony God real to people? We'll build a church house. We'll write music about him. You see, there's many ways to build an altar, isn't there? If you want to legitimize something that's illegitimate, build an altar to it. My concern, let's not exchange the miraculous work of Christ's redemptive work for some religious amusement that is counterproductive to the efficacy of the gospel. in a few months or whenever you're going to have a full time senior pastor here what should be his primary his primary primary goal in serving this church what should be number one for him to help you to eat and drink and play? To build an altar to a God that doesn't exist? To succumb to pressure? It's not what you want. Let me give you a biblical answer. The biblical answer is Romans 1.16. Paul says, For... I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God God's salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To everybody in the world, the gospel, when that new guy comes in here and preaches the word of God, it ought to be the word of God. Don't trust events to bring people in. Don't trust party time to bring people in. Don't create some God who's not there to bring people in. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. It ought to be about Jesus Christ. No, friends, it's not a new God that allows us to eat, drink, and play, but the living God of the Bible who calls us together to worship Him in spirit and truth. Moses, Joshua, Samuel and even Dave, even David, in spite of his numerous faults, were men who remained faithful. And here we are today surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, all faithful men and women who worshiped and served God alone. We sit here in this church, if we had spiritual eyes. To look around us. If we could see what was around us right now. We would cover ourselves in terror. Because of the battle that is raging all around you. Spiritually. The hosts of heaven. And the minions and the demons of hell. Battling for the souls of people. They want your mind. They want to control you. But God has his army. I like what Joshua says at the close of his life when he had had led Israel into the promised land and defeated the enemy all around. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Church, who will you serve? Will it be a God who allows you to eat and drink and play? Or will be a God who sends you to your knees and in prayer embraces the very throne of God in glory? What God will you serve? I ask, should you and I be any less faithful as this great cloud of witnesses uh, around us? Should you and I be any less committed than they? We are the church. We will have no other God before us. Let's pray. Father, grant to us the audacity to be who you've called us to be. Men and women who will stand firm, who will hold the standard of a God who is enthroned in glory. Lord, may we be that people. In Jesus' name, amen.